Welcome back to the Kenny Chesser Podcast. I am your host, Kenny Chesser, and we want to get right into the swing of things today. Before we get started, I have a voicemail uh, from a very special listener out there I want to play and respond to. Hello, Brother Chesser. This is your number one fan, Linda Bateman, speaking. And I would like to give you formal thanks for continuing to be an inspiration throughout my life. I would also like to leave you with a question. Regarding your vast knowledge of literature and general love for books, would you ever consider writing one? First off, shame on everybody for thinking that was going to be another clip of Blake. I have multiple listeners as evidenced by this new voicemail. Actually, this voicemail was left a few weeks ago, and I've just been uh, unable to get it on a show or just keep forgetting. Uh, number one, thank you so much for leaving a voicemail and being a faithful listener uh, to the podcast. Thank you for the kind words. And to answer your question directly, I have thought about it. I feel woefully inadequate when it comes to writing. Um, I have thoughts that I would love to express out someday. I probably need to start small. I've done a few blogs before. I've wrote some articles for some magazines and other websites. So I do have a desire to do that one day. And thank you for the encouragement. I might be able to pull it off. I'll have to get a good editor uh, to help me tame this wild brain of mine, maybe to get it under control uh, and a little more focus. But again, thank you for the voicemail. We're going to get into today's episode. I'm thankful that you're listening. I imagine we'll have some new listeners because of the the tone and tenor of today's conversation. It was such an excellent conversation. So I'm going to be bringing to you a conversation that was recorded on February 22nd. I was able to go to Arlington, Tennessee and sit down with the one and only Dr. Clay Jackson. Dr. Jackson maintains a private practice of family medicine in Atoka, Tennessee. He also leads the palliative medicine program at the West Cancer Center in Memphis, Tennessee. He also serves as associate fellowship director for the palliative medicine of the University of Tennessee College of Medicine. He's a man of many talents and he wears many different hats. He is a father. He is a pastor and church planner. He served as an associate missionary to Great Britain while he was getting a degree at the University of Oxford in England. For 10 years, he also authored a national column on the intersection of spirituality and health. And he is currently a frequent lecturer at the Urshan Graduate School of Theology. The man is ministry-minded, but he's also a consummate professional. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. If you want to hear about theology, medicine, books, bivocational ministry, and vaccines, I think you should buckle up. Let's get to work. I don't know. It seems to me that he shouldn't be saying that. Well, what is it that you want him to say? Shut him down. Kenny Chesser Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Woody Butler Barbecue Sauce. If you stand in great need, or if it's just a little need of a little spice in your life, I tell you, look no further then my friend Sean Butler and his barbecue sauce. You can contact him at woodybutlerbarbecue at gmail.com. That is woodybutlerbbq, the letters bbq at gmail.com. He's got amazing flavors. We've tried most all of them. We're working our way through them right now. My favorite so far is the tiki sauce. Uh, He's got seasonings and rubs, and you will not be disappointed. We are so thankful that we brought this into our kitchen and put it on our grill. You will not be disappointed. Once again, that's Woody Butler Barbecue Company, and that is woodybutlerbarbecue at gmail.com. 
gmail.com. Tell him you heard about him on the Kenny Chester podcast, and he might actually charge you more. So don't do that, but do order it. You will not be disappointed. So the Kenny, I agree with everything he said. Of course you do, Blake. You're like me. You like barbecue sauce. And if you want to be like Blake, you're going to want to order some of this barbecue sauce where you can also say that you agree with everything I said. Without any further ado, let's get into this conversation with Dr. Clay Jackson. Thank you for joining us today. I am so excited. With me in studio, we have Dr. Clay Jackson. He is a medical doctor, but he's also a church planner, and he is an avid reader. He, All of our interests converge in this really weird place we were talking about before we started uh, the podcast today, and uh, we don't have as much time to spend with each other as we do in life or, or that I would prefer. Now, he it might be the right level for him, <laughs> but I would love to spend all kind of time with this man because he's just such a, a friendly guy, and it's so interesting. I am so glad. Dr. Jackson, thank you for being on the podcast. It's an honor, and it's really good to see you again. Uh, Obviously, our relationship extends across decades, and those are the kinds of friendships that we we treasure. So it's uh, wonderful to be able to talk today. Absolutely. Well, we now that you mentioned it, we I think it was around 2007, 2008, and I was able to meet you here in Memphis. We came here. My wife had a contract with Baptist East, and it put us right here in Memphis. And man, we've become aware there was a doctor at the church we started attending, and you were teaching some classes, and I was hooked immediately. I loved your presentation style. I loved uh, how you uh, taught, taught the Bible. Uh, and I remember I got, a, I got a good dose of your ministry at that church, and I remember going to a men's conference. I don't know if you remember this or not. You used to preach a men's conference. Uh, for Brother DJ Shoulders, who's been a podcast uh, a guest here on the KCP. And uh, I, my eyes were like just, you, you blew my mind. You had a different ministry in, in that men's conference mode than I'd ever seen in the pulpit. Um, what's that like? Let me ask you, is that something you think about? Or is that was that just something that you get to a men's conference, you're like, all right, time to time to put the doctor's hat down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these men uh, in shape. It was more like a drill sergeant. <laughs> well... That's uh, incredibly uh, embarrassing to think about. <laughs> to, to think about uh, how we we function differently in different environments. I guess uh, I think the core of integrity is being who you are in every setting and having every relationship reflect the same values. Um, but I do think, in terms of uh, the needs of the moment, particularly when we're talking about ministry, obviously there's a different presentation and different, even a different volume. Right. When you're dealing with a one-on-one Bible study or, or counseling someone who's hurting or, or going through challenges, when you're answering questions, I think from an Ephesians 4.11 perspective, in terms of the um, leadership gifts that have been given to the church, my natural spot is as a teacher. That's what I truly enjoy and feel probably the most suited for. Uh, but there are times uh, in an evangelistic setting or prophetic setting um, where different needs from different congregations or groups of people call out different uh, presentation styles. And so um, I recall at that conference once, um, <laughs> absolutely sort of awakening uh, <laughs> one third of the way through walking on the backs of the pews. Yeah. It was... never happened before or <laughs> since to me. Uh, my thought was, uh, it wasn't very spiritual. It was, oh my goodness, how will I get down? And, <laughs> Uh, how did I get here and how will I get down? Those were my two questions. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say no legs were broken and no, uh, no ministers or congregants were harmed 
during uh, that conference. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. That's incredible. I, it, and I, I couldn't agree more. I was actually ministering this weekend and, and mentioned that, that a lot of times the audience will dictate the presentation as there was with Jesus and how he uh, you know, used his parables for different groups. I said, I could teach the same thing to a you know, children's ministry, and I have in youth camps and go all the way up into like a, a more adult setting. And so the presentations do change, but I, I agree with what you touched on, and I've never heard you really talk about that. Man, your teaching style is absolutely incredible. And if you haven't listened to any of Dr. Jackson's teaching, you can find that. Is this correct? You guys have a Arlington, an Arlington United podcast. We do. And a lot of that, it contains your teaching ministry. Is that right? That's correct. And I've heard so many good things about that. Listen to it myself. I could not recommend it more. Dr. Jackson, I, I want to talk to you today. Uh, me and you, uh, we've known each other for that that long, and we... Um, most li- most our, most of our relationship interaction exists on Twitter or on the social mm-hmm. media platforms, and uh, that could be a dangerous thing for some, depending on how you use Twitter. Um, I have a different uh, attitude concerning Twitter. Uh, I, uh, my approach to Twitter is probably a lot different than most ministers. I like to minister. I like to go, you know, and be encouraged. But I don't go to Twitter for encouragement. I use Twitter honestly, kind of like my newspaper. And I, I look at stories and I try to, I find interesting studies that, that, or, you know, and sometimes there's other things that creep into that because of, of the kind of platform Twitter is, but a lot of it, especially in the last couple of years, um, world news and specifically the, the pandemic I wanted to get you on today because I feel like you have a unique perspective. We all have opinions, <laughs> but some of us are more authoritative in our opinions. And so with your background in medicine, can you maybe qualify that just a little bit exactly? Cause I know that, that you've been practicing medicine for a long time, but I'll also, I know that you're pursuing other things, but can you qualify your background a little bit before we jump into the whole pandemic conversation? Sure, sure. Um, uh, I came to the University of Tennessee and graduated medical school in the late 90s. Um, since that time, I've been a family physician. Um, I'm also uh, board certified in hospice and palliative medicine, and so we take care of seriously ill patients at the West Cancer Center. And then uh, I'm board certified in pain medicine as well. So my career um, has mostly been about uh, relationships. I, I backed into medicine as a way of understanding people. Um, I did, you know, trained in theology first and uh, served the church uh, from a young age as a teenager. Uh, when I say serve the church, I um, am using that phrase with a great dose of God's grace. Uh, <laughs> I, I attempted to serve the church. Yes, sir. Uh, really, the church served me in helping to, to form me and to, to help me to become more Christ-like, and if I had paid more attention earlier, I would have made further progress along that journey. But uh, I have been involved in church work uh, for the majority of my life, uh, did formal theological training before medical training, and then I've been in practice for about 25 years as a family physician with a, with an uh, intensive focus on people who are seriously ill or who struggle with uh, symptom challenges such as pain and, and other things, specifically related to cancer, but other diseases as well. That my my wife worked um, for for a few years uh, on on the cancer floor of the Our Lady of the Lake Hospital in Baton Rouge, and she is a wonderful Christian. And she looks at um, nursing as a ministry, as what she does for the kingdom of God. How when you oh like if you're in that type of palliative care and you're in that type of end of life, and I know a lot of you your patients are elderly. How do you not let that get to you? Um, and I won't say steal your joy, but man, some of that zeal for working for God when you're, uh, I know how Misty does it, but I wonder if it's different for, for others. Like, well, how do you, how do you process death and pain and suffering? And I know this is a philosophical question that many of the, you know, great thinkers of the past have, have, have 
have waited out and, and thought on. How do you deal with that, like the pain and the suffering and the minister? And like, where do you land there? I want it to get to me uh, because I feel like it is a supplier of joy. Um, I think that it can certainly steal happiness. But as you know, and as you teach, and as our boss taught, <laughs> Jesus, um, joy is not circumstantial. Joy is ontologically grounded. It is salvifically um, produced. We have joy not because of circumstances, even when they are, um, you know, circumstantially victorious, or uh, when we have felt that we performed well. Uh, Jesus admonished his disciples, this is not the time uh, to experience joy. The time to experience joy and the reason for, to experience joy is because we are grounded in him. We, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so I think what ministry does, and, and I've gotten to a point where, to me, um, there just aren't a lot of boundaries between physical ministry and, phys uh, physical ministry and spiritual ministry. Mm -hmm. What I do on Sundays is very similar to what I do on Mondays and Tuesdays. Um, it's a little bit different space. It's a little bit different delivery system, as you said. Um, but I'm fairly commonly <laughs> getting people asking advice on Sundays yeah. about their blood pressure. <laughs> and I'm fairly commonly praying for people uh, in the clinic, oh, wow. you know, sort of Monday, Monday through Friday. To me, it's, it's, it's ministry. Um, you know, incidentally, I, I just in my personal practice, I ask God for a tithe of my patients. And what I mean by that is I try to give him 10% of the income that he blesses me with, um, as I believe the scripture teaches us. Mm -hmm. And so I ask him to give me a spiritual encounter with 10% of my patients. I wow. ordinarily see about 20 patients a day. And so I'm looking for one in the morning and one in the afternoon that I'm going to be able to, in that moment, absolutely recognize, not just prevenient grace or uh, natural talents or spiritual giftings in operation in, a, in sort of a stealth way, but openly discussing. Uh, the meaning of life, the the joy of the gospel, the hope and the peace that that Jesus gives us, and sometimes that's receiving from the patients. Um, sometimes it's giving. Yesterday in my clinic, a beautiful, wonderful lady, an elder, uh, came in, and before I could ask her anything, she said, "How's your boy doing?" And uh, we have a uh, one of our children that is um, progressing on his developmental milestones a little less rapidly than we'd like. And um, she'd asked me about my family, and I had shared that in a prior visit that I'd like for her to pray because I knew she was a woman of faith. And she recalled that, and she shared with me that she's praying for our son wow. on a regular basis. And so it's not always me telling someone about Jesus or encouraging right. them. Sometimes it's my patients giving back. And I, I think one of the keys to avoiding burnout in any of our ministerial or vocational pursuits is to look at our work, whether that is overtly for Jesus uh, in a building with a steeple, right. or whether it is um, uh, in a different way in serving the kingdom of God and his world uh, with maybe a utility belt or a, yeah. um, a, a, a stethoscope or, or something else. Um, a uh, very do unto the Lord mentality. It, absolutely. Yeah. When we're looking at that, I think we need to look at our work as not a place of giving out energy, but energy exchange. What energy do we get back from what we're doing? And I think um, as scripture admonishes us to do things unto the Lord and to to therefore do them with all our might, to not be weary in well-doing. I think one of the ways to not be weary is to gain energy back. I, I actually, in times when I have been spiritually struggling, uh, physically struggling, mentally struggling, I find that many of those days are the days that my patients and my congregants 
somehow sense that. And they give back to me in ways that are super abundant and humbling. And it causes you to realize that God really is in his kingdom. He really does ask us to put one hand on the plow, which is ludicrous. No one plows one-handed. Right. But he didn't say, put your hands to the plow and don't look back. He said, put your hand in it. I take that to mean that I'm to have one hand on my work and he's to have the other hand on my wow. work yeah. uh, so that he can power it and guide it. And when, when I do that, it works, pun intended. Yeah. When I don't do that, it doesn't work very well. Yeah. And I'm not very productive and I'm not very happy and satisfied. So it's a long answer to where joy comes from, but I do want it to get to me every day because yeah. I want to be reminded of the brevity of this phase of life. And I want to be reminded of the, uh, the length of the next phase of life, yeah. which is uh, eternal, and we're, we're headed there. And that's, a, that's a, a true reason for joy. Well, that's incredible. And I think something you touched on, and it's probably in your leadership style too, because you said it happens within the church as, that you pastor, but also in the, the patients that you see. I think there's so much value and power, and it's probably an understated uh, aspect of leadership, is that when you're there, there's an idea of leadership that you project power that you don't show weakness and you know you lead the people and that you know if you got to go and I get you know you do have to go further and you got to be willing to I get all of that and and you are judged by a higher standard yes I agree we're still in agreement but that point where you can bring someone into relationship through your weaknesses and your vulnerability that most people don't see that in leadership they don't see that 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 power in that communal Hey, when you're weak, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to give back. And, you know, it's a kind of a weird, you don't think that of pastors and especially your doctor. I mean, when's the last time you went to your doctor and was like, how are you doing? You know, you know, and, 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 and for you to say that, you know, I've never even considered that relationship being, um, interdependent, you know, where, you know, you're, you're feeding off them as much as they're feeding off you or maybe not as much, but you know what I mean? That's, that's an incredible, um, um, philosophy there in leadership and in, in ministry. That's that's incredible. I like that, and I can see that uh, that what that how that would breed community in your in your church and in your pra- your practice. Well, the, the in both arenas, um, I view it as an extended family. Um, the people that trust Arlington United with their souls and their families, um, they're not units to attain an end. They're not a means to an end. They are the end. They are the end. The, these are the people that God died for uh, in Jesus and was resurrected. These are the people that um, that He shed His blood for, as Peter said, um, and and they're precious. And by the way, all those people that come to have their blood pressure checked are are they're the same people that uh, God loves them so much more than I do. And so, um, something about the fatherhood of God and acknowledging that creates a communal aspect that I think is woefully underemphasized in American society, which tends to focus on freedom and individualism. We can talk about how that affects us culturally um, with challenges such as political disagreements, uh, the pandemic, uh, even the nature of truth and how we pursue it. But I think as Christians in the kingdom of God, we need to model a different way of living. I wouldn't even call it a philosophy so much as an understanding and a reception of truth that um, everything that we are um, is based on him, but his fatherhood creates a brotherhood and sisterhood that transcends other boundaries and, and divisiveness. Truly, Pentecost, as I view it, is a reversal of Babel, and Babel is about confusion, and Babel is about uh, destruction and division. 
Um, but what, what Christ did in Gethsemane to reverse the individual rebellion of Adam and Eve, uh, he's now done in Pentecost to reverse the communal rebellion of Babel. And he has created a society that transcends barriers, that, that transcends division and brings unity. There's, there's a communal aspect of that. And, and even in his model prayer, you know, the, the first word is our father. He, we don't have the privilege of calling him my father. Right unless we're willing to say it's our Father. If you, if you look at the model prayer, every personal pronoun is plural. Now, Psalm 23, there's 17 personal pronouns, and they're all singular. And so mm-hmm. individual devotion is important. So, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. He restores my soul. But it's our Father, our sins, um, our daily bread, um, lead us not into temptation. And so, I think if if I could sort of hammer home one message um, in in my life, it's that we're in this together if we're with him. Yeah. Uh, the worst uh, so-called gospel song ever written that I know of is Me and Jesus Have a Good Thing Going. I think it's a terrible song. I don't think it's a gospel song. I'm sorry if your great-grandfather wrote it or great-grandmother, but I think that um, a, a much better approach is what Jesus said, which we are. We're, we're part of one another. Yeah, man, that's really great. I love that thinking as well. And I like how that can like that family aspect can apply to so much of the issues that we see and we, we face right now in, in our current struggles in the church or in the world. It's like, man, if you just, if you would look at them, you know, in that family aspect, there's, I have family and we have obviously disagreements. We have our own uh, set of uh, struggles. Um, but I never, I've never in my mind, it doesn't enter like when my kids are, are misbehaving, it's like, all right, one more time. And, you know, that's, that's it. You're, 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 I'm, you know, I'm through with you. <laughs> you know, there's this long suffering, perseverance, patience, all that things that enter in because we are a part of a family. And if you have that, you know, that communal aspect, it's like, it's our, we are brothers, we are sisters, you know, it's, well, you're really talking about two kingdoms, aren't you? I mean, you're talking about the kingdom of this world, and you're talking about the kingdom of our Savior, and they're built on different principles. Um, our, our nation is founded on the concept of freedom, and I thank God for that. It is uh, better than, than being founded on a, a sense of control mm. or a sense of, of conquering, etc. I mean, freedom is a wonderful thing, but I think in the kingdom of God, freedom exists as a necessary precondition for love. And love entails responsibility. It entails responsiveness. It entails accountability. And so that's why, you know, now our political discourse seems to be driven by the concept of rights. This is my right. right. You cannot infringe on it. Whereas we have very little conversation around, these are my responsibilities. Very good. And so when we, when we enshrine freedom as the primary goal of society, and love is not the primary goal, then very different conversations begin to occur. You mentioned politics, and unfortunately, um, the way in a, in a democratic, pluralistic society to attain power is to unite enough people behind your program or your personality to, to cede that power to you through elections or appointments. And unfortunately, in, in our world, one of the quickest ways to unite people is not through love, but through hatred right. and division. So, I mean, don't we take advantage of this? Uh, haven't you been in a service where maybe uh, the response was not quite what the minister thought it should be. And so, you know, if you're preaching about Calvary and people want to respond and stand up and yell and hoot and holler and all the things that we love in, in our responsive worship circles, 
well, you can mention the devil and people will get up and, and they'll, you know, so, yeah. I mean, we may not, we may not uh, be enthusiastic enough about salvation, but boy, you just speak about the devil and right. everybody will get up and scream but and even, bite the ceiling. And, even and, if you don't spiritualize it, I mean, you can just take, I mean, there's been movements founded on what we're against. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so there, there's a, I think we're we're seeing that. Um, there was a time. I mean, in in an information culture, uh, and in an information economy, the currency is is attention. And with our attention span decreasing and decreasing and decreasing, uh, there's a limit to how much the retina can take in a lot, but the occipital cortex, where that's processed, can only process so much. And so, imagery and and graphics. You know, now we have infographic. There'll be holograms and and 3D. You know, at some point, there's a limit to how much our brains can take in. Right. um, So so that creativity only goes so far to hold your eyeballs. Um, I read somewhere that that's one of the major issues with artificial intelligence right now. It's not getting them to recognize. It's it's not the problem is that they take in too much information and they cannot specify. So they walk into a room. We walk into a room. We're we're our eyes are trained. We're looking for a place to sit down. What are we identify? These are things I can sit on. These things I can drink. AI they have they have a vision problem. They take in everything and they don't know what to narrow their gaze upon. Absolutely. So our occipital cortex actually, where where our vision, the retina sends the image to the back of our brain. Uh, what's so interesting is that God created our brains to have this magnificent ability to ignore stimuli, mm. and there are many, many, many orders of magnitude. You know, many orders of magnitude of information just totally bled out because I, what we experience in the world is not the way the world is. It's the way that our brain right looks at it, and so subjectivity is always there. When people say Follow the science. Well, whose science? Um, Whose data? Um, What did we leave out? And that's even unknown. I mean, this is why peer review is so important. Uh, It's why eyewitness testimony is so often false, even when people aren't willfully perjuring. They just see different things because they saw different things. Exactly. Their retinas may have seen the same thing, but their brains process it differently. So number one, to get back to the the original trail there, um, there's only so much that graphics can do to keep our attention. And then there was a phase of, of sexuality and sensuality and getting our attention through that. And so you, you have people on TV with sort of perfect teeth or perfect hair or perfect outfits or certain physical attributes. Uh, but, you know, in commoditized sexuality, where pornography has gone to the extreme, right. uh, sensuality doesn't keep people's attention anymore either. Right. Uh, and so, you know, sort of titillating images don't keep people's attention. So what does keep people's attention? What are algorithms actually built around? What does social media actually encourage us to do to keep the doom scroll going so that they can sell more things? What does CNN do? What does Fox News do? What does MSNBC do? You, you choose your initials. I'm not here to promote a particular program. Right. What they all do is sell outrage. Right. Because outrage lasts. Right. And outrage uh, causes a fight-or-flight response, so-called reptilian brain. It gets beyond cognition into emotion and uh, actual autonomic responses. Your blood pressure rises. Your heart rate rises. Um, there are dopamine responses when you, uh, in the brain, when you interact with your smartphone that are very similar to what you get when you have, frankly, a cataclysmic sexual response. Uh, this is a family program, so we won't go into all of that. Right. However, but there's uh, the, there, there are similarities. There are yeah. similarities of connection uh, with being agreed with in in a heightened arousal uh, in in this environment of, of fight or flight that are very similar to sexuality. And so uh, there are very, very smart people who are billionaires 
who are, you don't have to put on your tinfoil hat and, you know, someone's trying to change the way I think. They want simply your money. Right. Now, some of them may be politically motivated. We could go into all that. That gets into more conspiracy. But a very simple explanation is you can make billions with a B by keeping people's attention. Absolutely. And so outrage sells. Um, I look at it more of, it's not that those guys, I think, I think they invent the world that that can happen. And then you have um, bad actors come in with political motives. And so that's where you get the conspiracy thing. Or I good would, actors with political motives. I, I, exactly. I would like to think I'm a good actor. I'm using these platforms. You know, right. I use Spotify. I use um, Apple Podcasts. Yeah. I, you know, uh, we reached 19 nations here. And on some Sundays, we might not have 19 people in the congregation. Right. Uh, so our digital reach has assisted us. We use Instagram. Uh, we use Facebook. We use Twitter um, to hopefully encourage someone, hopefully enlighten someone. I'm under no illusion that, you know, the entirety of the world is going to be changed because, you know, at 12.36 a.m. I tweeted something. But it does create a, a platform of, of uh, distributing what I would call gospel moments or gospel messages anyway. Yeah. So I'm not anti-technology, but I'm reminded that, um, you know, my, my good friend Tom Trimble consistently challenges me that technology is an ecology. You know, uh, it, technology changes things in a way that we, we really don't think about. I mean, how much yeah. has television changed our society? Right. If, if our democracy fails, if this experiment of consented governance fails, and there's lots of talk about that, that democracy is yeah. threatened, et cetera. Never thought in my mind, like my life that I would see it, but I'll, I'll get down like, you know, I could actually see this if, going under. <laughs> if, if it does fail, people may talk about January 6th, people may talk about September 11th, but I'd like to point you to June 1st, 1980. And that's the first time that we had a 24-hour news station. Yeah. And uh, you know, CNN, it's not the initials that bother me or even necessarily the, the views of the commentators. There is a, an ecological reality that when you create a channel that is built on 24-hour news, then there has to be news. You have to invent news. This and is so, whole... so, you know, things were happening anyway, but right. now, they, you know, if, if I'm going to come back after commercial, and you need me to come back because right. there's more Tide to sell, there's more Coca-Cola to sell, there's right. more Pepsi to sell, choose your brand. If I'm going to come back, you need me to be invested, and so that means there needs to be a crisis. Right. I need to be outraged. I need to be angry. And so um, I think we're looking at the wrong end of the telescope. I think we're allowing people to drive conversations in a way that keep us angry and autonomically aroused. Um, when in actuality, you know, when I talk to uh, an African-American female who's 78 years old in my clinic, there's much we disagree on, but there's a great deal that we agree on. Right. When I speak with an Hispanic 33-year-old male, there's much that we disagree on, but there's much that we agree on. I, I haven't. I don't think that I've had a single conversation in these last two years with you know, Trumpism and the Biden era and the pandemic and do you get a shot, do you don't get a shot, do you, do you wear a mask, do you not wear a mask. I, haven't ha I don't think I've had a single disrespectful conversation yeah. uh, in analog space. But wow. But what it doesn't you are matter what the issues are. If I, listen, if, I listen, yeah. if, if, I if I look at the feeds or if I listen to the, the media culture, um, I think the whole country's coming apart at the seams. Yeah. We do have real challenges. We have real right. challenges. We, um, we, we can't agree whether the solution to society is um, more education or more morality. Right. We cannot agree if um, uh, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is the answer or if people need more assistance. 
These are fundamental political and philosophical questions that, that we have some disagreement on, and, and perhaps rightly so. Um, you know, I've read the New Testament corpus several times. I've yet to find where Jesus was a Republican. Right. I know that shocks some people. Um, I also don't think he's a registered he was a, Democrat. Yeah. Wouldn't he socialist? I've heard. I, I've I, seen a lot of memes. You know, um, I, <laughs> I, I think, I think you know, the incarnation tells us that he won't fit in any of our boxes. Right. And so um, it's interesting because we all take different parts of the Jesus, right? That we want. Right. Um, for some people, he's Santa. For some people, he's Che Guevara. For some people, <laughs> you know, he's he may look a lot yeah. like uh, someone with a you know, a suit on with a red tie, right. you know, and, and a flag behind him, you know, but we know that he puts paid really to all of those human constructs. Right. And he has an inconvenient habit of refusing to be an idol. Uh, he, That's he, good. he really just yeah. refuses to be a little tin God. He is the God of the universe and, and outstrips all of our categories. Man, these conversations, they've got me wanting to go in like 15 different directions because you, you'll, you'll, you'll touch on this and then you'll, and it's not that you're, you're not being sporadic. I mean, but you're making great points and I want to pull on this thread. One thing that I will mention that, that when you were talking about like the, was it June? What, what was the date? 1980. June 1st, 1980. Yeah. Um, it was, I, what is my top, it was one of my top books last year. I've already read it again this year. It's by Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death. I recommend, I've, I've recommended on the podcast before, if you have not listened or read or however you consume that type of uh, literature, you need to get that book. It was written. I want to. I can't remember. I think now uh, it's, it was written in the '80s, right when news, cable news, was becoming a thing. And like his critique of it, he's not spiritual. But I'm telling you, if this book would have been popular within our movement in the '80s and '90s, bro, this guy would have been invited to preach at every conference. I mean, he was like, he's just a. I think he was like an NYU professor. But bro, his take on and like I said, the title is "Amusing Ourselves to Death." He said that with the invention of of this entertainment uh, economy, this amusement economy, it changed the way that we uh, process news stories and how we had to process news stories from a print, a literature print society to this Get a, the most good-looking person you can, the best features, and you know the the, the you know well-spoken and deliver these news stories in just one-minute soundbite. It was insane, and like I said, it was, it was so prescient in my uh, uh, opinion. Being written in there, um, it's a fantastic book. Uh, and again, I, I need to credit my friend, brother Tom Trimble from St. Charles, uh, Missouri. It's interesting. Uh, there are there are people like yourself and. Uh, Tony Mancino and uh, Jay Mullins is a, a young man from our church, and uh, Brother Tremble and others that sort of, uh, it's interesting, to have friends who read is to get access to your own libraries, but you don't have to stand and stare at the shelves. You, you, have, a, you have a tour guide of the mind and of the culture. And so uh, Brother Tremble put me on to Postman decades ago, actually, yeah. and uh, was, was an early leader in that. It really influenced some of his thought. and. Um, the postman and Robert Bella and some of these uh, uh, folks, uh, University of Chicago, NYU, uh, really were thinking carefully about society where we're headed. And I think uh, some outstanding lessons for us. Amusing ourselves to death, I think, is the place to start. Uh, just a, a wonderful book that is is good for anyone to read. Um, but uh, uh, I, I I agree with you. I, I think I, the the ecology of technology and how it's changed us is 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 so different. Um, billions, it, billions yeah. of cell phones today. Right. And, and, you know, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. And right. the, the smartphone has, has changed 
even more. And so um, I think it's wonderful that we have an opportunity as a church to be connected to a gospel that is eternal because uh, times change so rapidly. You can't make enough rules to keep up with culture, but if you have foundational principles, there is a righteous response to each circumstance, and we are equipped to deal with those cultural shifts. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that you said that I wanted to touch on uh, as far as the, the responsibility of love in a society that's based in freedom. It's like, okay, freedom is great, um, but even the founding fathers, I want to say it was John Adams that made the comment that this, this thing that we're building, the, the Constitution that we're writing— it can only govern a moral people. Absolutely. And it was Adams, yes. Yeah. It has to, you know, there freedoms, you know, if if and I feel like we've we've went down that path where it's like it's this individualism. And I I'm glad that we live in a country that we can, you know, make those personal decisions. I get that. But man, if we're immoral as a society, and I feel like our society is, you know, of course, the church is here, and we're we're operating. We're trying to you know, build a kingdom of love and and morality and teach these things. But I mean, if you look as a whole, I mean, it, it, I don't feel like we're getting more moral. I feel like we're getting more immoral. And then you see, then the weak spots in our constitution. It's like, man, this was built for immoral people. And man, right now, it's there's a lot of things that are uh, that. I guess abuses and power, like what you're seeing in Canada right now, um, it's just insane to me that we're living in a time where some of these things can happen. Like just because you think wrong, that you can be locked out of your bank account. I, I, I struggle with this sometimes because uh, I, I have a friend uh, who's a nationally renowned, internationally renowned psychiatrist, Rakesh Jan. Um, Rakesh is an inveterate po- uh, uh, positivity person. He. Uh, and I, I'm often decrying the direction of our society. He says, Clay, no, no, no. Look, 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 look how society has progressed. Look at, look at human rights. Look at what has happened. And so, you know, let's, let's take Adam's quote. Uh, this constitution only, work, only works for more people. Have we become more moral or, or less moral? Well, um, I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, we're up against prophecy. In, in, in the last days, the evil of men will wax worse and worse. And I'm paraphrasing here. And, so you probably can't find any version where that's an exact quote. But the scripture does tell us that you know, we can expect um, wickedness to progress. But we're also told that latter rain would be greater than former rain. So at the same time that there's a cultural drift, you know, the Greeks thought that the, the good old days were the old mm-hmm. good days and everything declines. We're not Greeks. We're Christians. Right. And we believe that the kingdom of God is expanding in the earth and, and having effects. So let, let's just look at our culture and our society. John Adams says, Constitution works for more people. Well, are we more moral or, or less moral than Adam's day? In many ways, uh, evil has progressed. Uh, we talked a moment ago about the pervasiveness of pornography. That's that's one element where I think that although there were smutty pictures in 1778, I'm sure of it. Uh, I don't own any copies, but I'm sure there were. <laughs> right. Uh, the ubiquity of, of pornography. You know, the the idea that you'd have to protect a nine year old from the exposure to images that are in the world today. That, that's right. a that's an unqualified bad. It, 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 it just, it is. It's, it's, it's a bad thing. However, uh, you know, you if, there like is, if there is human slavery today, right. we have task forces to root that out. Right. It's not seen as, as something that's uh, in the Constitution as three-fifths of a person. So are we more moral or less moral than, than Adam's society? I would say the fact that it's not de rigueur to own other people um, on the books 
is a moral progression. I would say that's a good thing. So did that come because humans have more education? Did it come because they have more enlightenment, which was the Jeffersonian, the, all of the yeah. all of the, the the rage of the day. I would say it became because of the Christian abolitionist movement. I Amen. would say that it came because Christians were doing what they were supposed to do. They were right. saying uh, these people with more melanin in their in their skin are our brothers, and we can't own family. That's that's crazy. Um, and there we need a, to stop this. There was a dissenting judge in the Dred Scott case that says. I cannot look at him and say that he's less than me. He bears the mark of his creator. He, he invoked the Imago Dei. He says he's, he's marked by God. Absolutely. He's in the image of God, and so I must recognize him as a brother. Well, if we, if we truly took that seriously, then, then how would we as Democrats view Republicans? How would we as Republicans view Democrats? And you know, I know that there are different things that political parties stand for and this and that, but you know, I, I think that if we truly take the Bible and we align it to, to cultural issues, then we're going we're to find that, that there may be some surprising allies. When we talk about ministering to the poor, then there are going to be some ways that we're going to be aligned with, with maybe people that we might not be aligned on some other issues. When we, we talk about the sanctity of life, we're going to be aligned with some people that might have some other views that we might uh, not agree with. But So I, you know, I don't, I just, going to the ballot box is difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you, you know, I, I don't see anything in scripture that says, you know, um, uh, assassinate Caesar, um, which was <laughs> their only option. They, they couldn't choose. Right. It's a different society. We, we, we have more privileges and yet uh, we, we have more responsibilities. What does it mean to engage as a civic Christian? I, I, I think we're called to call to, 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 we're called to carry a cross, not a placard. I feel that we are called to witness to Christ, not to, um, any, other individual as being a solution to our problems, um, but we—I think we can be engaged. I think we can, we can, we can uh, interact with the culture. I, I think, yeah, I think voting is a good thing. But I, I yeah. think that, you know, if I were the devil, I would try to keep people with eternal possibilities busy with temporal responsibility. That's good. If if I were the devil, I would love for Christians who actually have the answer to focus on a lesser God. Um, if I, if I were Satan and I were up against New Jerusalem, I would try to get people to focus on a new Washington. Um, that's how I'd spend my time. So I'm not C.S. Lewis. I'm not as elegant as he was in Screwtake Letters and describing the enemy's tactics. But Paul said, we're not ignorant of his devices. So, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as public facing people who have the audacity to say that we're trying to speak for God, uh, you know, I've been guilty of, you know, what does my Twitter feed look like to somebody who isn't from my community? Can they, can they read my Twitter feed and still want to come to our church? Oh, yeah. Uh, would they still want me in their living room? And so I, I think that is a good filter to think about. And I, I think that I don't always succeed there. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm there as well. I, I want to be gracious. Let me, let me ask you this, because this is something I wanted to ask you about today. And man, we're, we're already hitting some, some time constraints. I know you're, you're a busy man. You've been so kind to uh, give me this morning. Let me ask you this, um, if we do have the time. Um, you talk about engaging on, on Twitter, and, um, and you're a man of, of many different hats. And so with your medical knowledge, sometimes I pray. I used to pray, Lord, give me the patience of a Job. And I find my prayers changing more. Lord, 
Give me the patience of Dr. Jackson talking about vaccines on Twitter. (laughs) 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 Because I've seen you (laughs) under the anointing of the Holy Ghost when you're just providing just, it's not even, in my opinion, it's not controversial statements at all. It's just like, hey, this is a good, this, this study says something very good about this vaccine. It has nothing to do, and the fact that it's politicized, I think, is one of the things you're talking about, how the enemy would come in. If, like, I, if I was sowing discord among the brethren, if I was trying to distract, you've got something as simple as there's a pandemic. Yes, there are, there are definitely you know, personal liberties at stake. There's definitely things you want to get right when it comes to mandates, and I think the mandates are a horrible idea. I, I, I agree. I'm in this weird position, though, where I was like, you know, I think the vaccines are pretty good, and so when you have, you can speak from authority, and you're saying, you know what, I read this study, and I don't think, you know, there's the hysteria is as well, you know, whatever your opinion is now on it, but to see you interact with with fellow brethren and others coming in, you you do engage, in my opinion, with a lot of graciousness, uh, and a lot of patience. Can you tell me maybe just a little bit of that experience? Um, what is your mindset when you, when you take to the public square and that's what Twitter and Facebook, Instagram has become this, this is public forum where you can, you can talk and have a conversation with people you wouldn't normally have a conversation with about these topics. What do you, when you go in and say, all right, I've personally for vaccines and this is why, and I feel like, man, people they come out swinging sometimes. And what, how, what's your mindset going into those things? People have strong opinions. <laughs> yeah. um, people have strong opinions. I, I have strong opinions. Uh, a lot of my strong opinions are, are right in the moment. And a lot of them stand up well to time. A lot of them are wrong and don't stand up well yeah. to time. So I reserve the right to be human. Uh, I reserve the right to be wrong. I reserve the right to not have godlike knowledge, uh, particularly if I'm not operating under the auspices of the gifts of the Spirit, if I'm just operating with natural talent or natural understanding which we all understand comes from God. It is a, any good and perfect gift from God. But if we're not being at that moment supernaturally empowered, if it's just the graciousness of God allowing us to use our intellect, we're often wrong. And that's, that's the thing about science is that it does change. If someone's telling you that, you know, this doesn't change, this is scientific, well, that's a religion. That's right. scientism. That's not science. And anything that ends in ISM is less than truth. Um, anything. Uh, if because ISM indicates that it's a human philosophy that we've constructed that mm-hmm. helps us understand. It's a cartoon. It's 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 useful, but yep. not. It's useful as a reflection of truth. It's not useful right. as there's a elements there. Truth. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, I, you know, in terms of of other folks, you know, listen, I, I was on a one of the largest talk shows here in our city uh, sometime in April or May of 2020 or or, or whatever when this thing was breaking, and. Uh, I told my friend Jeff Calkins, I said, you know, I think in two or three weeks this thing's going to blow over. I think we'll we'll all batten down the hatches and we'll uh, stay home, you know, not kiss any strangers or hold hands, with folks, and you know, we'll we'll cough in our arm uh, arm uh, elbows yeah. and we'll put on a mask and it'll be good. Wow, that didn't stand up well, right? And that's you know, you you go find the recording of that, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I saved it. It's it's good for me to listen to from time to time to think about these podcasts <laughs> and the it. stuff you say because once you put it in digital space it's there for all it's there, it's, it, yeah it's wow permanent. how great our god is everything he says stands up right um his his promises are yay and amen ours are yes and let's wait <laughs> yeah right. so we'll um, see. <laughs> I, I reserve the right to be wrong what it, and, and i think you're right messaging has been terrible one of the one of the long-standing effects of this pandemic you know we talk about long covid for individuals I don't mean to minimize that. There are people who are yeah. going to struggle, you know. Right. Um, 
mental health diagnoses within 30 days of, of a COVID diagnosis go up by about 30, 35%. New study. You know, it's, it, there's stuff that people are going to struggle with for perhaps decades mm. that, that we'll have to unpack. But from a civic standpoint, I'll just tell you personally, um, it, it, it has harmed my profession because the trust in the medical profession, the trust in the nursing profession has, has plummeted. Um, in the corner clinic where I am, you know, my patients still believe in me, I think. Um, but there was a time when I could say, you know, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and that carried a certain weight with it. Mm. Similar to, there was a time when he said, I'm Reverend So-and-so. It carried a certain weight to it. Um, but, you know, after some of the scandals, the 80s and 90s, uh, I'm Reverend So-and-so. If you introduce yourself that way, first of all, why would you call yourself Reverend? But, uh, right. it, you know, clergy, cler- clergy title now may put you to disadvantage ministerially. Right. Uh, uh, if I say Dr. Fauci, um, it's a political Rorschach test. Right. Um, it's, it's not, there's not automatic respect that comes with it. And that is the fault of the people who weren't careful in messaging. I mean, from the CDC, we've had, you know, and, and listen, I, I'm not, again, I'm not a tinfoil hat person. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not, it, conspiracies, and cons, let's just settle this, okay, for, for all the conspiracies. Yeah. Conspiracies require commitment. Yeah. They require confidentiality. They require conviction, and they require consistency, and they require competence. Now, you tell me that those five are widespread among people. Right. And I'll tell you how common conspiracy theories right. actually yeah. are. True. Or even so more specifically, I, I, how, 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 how much can you find of that in, in our government? I believe, so I, I believe much more. I believe much more in human folly yeah. than I do this, you know, this grand, you know, I believe there are spirits behind the scenes that try to drive things. I believe yeah. in that. I, I, I believe Satan's fairly confident at his job. Um, and I believe his kingdom is, is powerful. Um, I believe our Savior you know, has promised us that, that we will crush it under our feet. And so I believe in a church triumphant. I also believe in a Satan who's confident. And I believe in a whole bunch of people that are <laughs> maybe trying. Yeah. But you know, this idea that there's some network uh, that's controlling everything that we think and, and consume, you know. You know, there were people who thought there were trackers in the vaccines. We all carry our trackers. It's already accomplished. Right. You, you, you type into it every day. Right. You know, there's no, I mean, talk you're, you're, about something and wait four hours and you'll see that commercial on your, on your next, you know, the right. advertisement. So yeah. don't, Bill Gates didn't need to put some magnet in the shot to, to, to track us down. So that's, I think that some of those thoughts are, are, they're understandable from people who are worried and, and afraid. Uh, but but I don't think they're 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 great. Now the the messaging, you know, there were officials from our national institutions, nationally renowned physicians. I could name the names, who said, "Get the shot, you you won't get sick, and you won't pass it to others." And you know, I have very very intelligent people. I'm talking about, you know, professionals who were saying, "Well, I refuse to hug so and so at Thanksgiving because they don't have a shot." Yeah. Well, it's it's backwards reasoning. If they're not wearing a mask, yes, you're at greater risk, but because they don't have a shot, well, they're unprotected. You're not unprotected because they still can pass it to you with a vaccine. So there was false information that flew around. And I don't think it was, Hey, we're going to give false people false information. Yeah. Uh, I don't think people knew some truth that they were withholding from the public. I think people weren't careful. Yeah. And in a, in a, a digitized society, you know, Roosevelt campaigned in 1940 on keeping us out of World War II. When all the time he was corresponding with Churchill about what was needed 
regarding World War II. Right. Um, nowadays, you can just pull up the video. You know, people forgot about that with FDR. Yeah. And, you know, when he said, I will keep your sons out of war, you know, and, mm -hmm. and people are cheering all the time. He's writing letters back and forth to Churchill about what was going to be required. You know, there's now you can just pull up people's inconsistencies and, you know, and so trust has been eroded to the point that um, I think very few people trust our public institutions. And it used to be, well, I'm a Democrat, so I hate the Republicans. When the Republicans in power, everything's bad. I'm a Republican, so when Democrats are everything's bad. But you know, we can trust the, the CDC. We yeah. can trust the uh, we can trust the SEC. We can trust you know, all the three initials. And we all agree we don't like the IRS. Yeah, <laughs> so, right, right. That's a joke. Please don't come get me. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, it's it's. But now, institutional uh, competence and good faith has been called into question. So I think there's going to be a societal cost to that. I think it would take a lot of humility to build that back. I think. Um, uh, I think that the current CDC director would, would need to start by saying, we were wrong about this. We were wrong about that. We, we were right about this. We were right about that. Um, you do see now some things that would have gotten you banned on social, social, social platforms, such as natural immunity exists. It is right. important. Um, vaccines don't keep you from getting infected, and they don't keep you from transmitting, but they do protect you against serious illness. Some of those things that are now being acknowledged as fact by our public health officials were considered conspiracy right. six, eight, nine months ago. And which so which that's now disappointing. feeds the conspiracy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They're trying so, to silence. Yeah. So when you when you do that, when you do that, um, you know, silencing people is rarely a good idea. It just doesn't work well. George R. R. Martin said in one of his novels, when you cut the tongue out of a man, you don't prove him a liar. You just tell everyone you're scared of what he's going to say. Isn't that something that <clears throat> we've seen let's Let's just take that to the spiritual realm. When has the church been harmed by persecution? Individuals have been harmed. Tragic things have happened, and I don't minimize the experience of the martyrs. But from a, a public health standpoint, as the body of Christ, right. the body of Christ is pretty healthy when people try to, to silence us because we get more serious about what we have to say. Right. And even in suffering, we, we speak of Christ. Paul's, Paul's persecution didn't stop his message. It, it propagated his message. He said, I'm making up in my body through my sufferings what was lacking in Christ's. Right. Well, it wasn't, wasn't qualitative. He didn't suffer in a way that, you know, it, 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 he didn't add anything to, to the incarnation or, or what God did in Christ. What he did was he showed people what that suffering was who didn't have an opportunity to view Jesus personally. Yeah. And that's what we do when we respond to suffering. So Silencing people is, is rarely a good idea uh, politically or, or spiritually because the message, the message will, will get out. So I don't think censorship is the right answer. It, it's very interesting. In Tennessee, um, where I practice, the, the state board now has uh, relegated to itself the right to remove a license of a physician for misinformation. Yikes. I think they did that. Historically, you could lose your license for doing certain things, uh, mm -hmm. insurance fraud. You could lose it for bad practice, you know, killing people, uh, either on purpose or by accident, repeatedly. Um, you could lose it by crossing boundaries, such as sexualizing patients in some way. And rightfully so. All those, are, though, are actions. They're not speech. Right. So now, um, on the books, if I get out and I spread what they consider to be misinformation, which is, you know, a year ago could have been uh, vaccines don't stop you from transmitting disease. Uh, I might have lost my license. I didn't. But, you know, that's, that was specifically brought in by people who, I think, wanted to stop COVID misinformation. But the, the challenge with that is, what is 
good faith being wrong today right. versus misinformation. So, and then politically, what is misinformation? If I quote Genesis 1 about God's creation of humanity being organized along male and female gender, right? am I stating biblical truth? Or am I promoting misinformation? Right. And so is this, you know, just just to paint the Orwellian scenario, is this, um, are there changes that have occurred in society that could set up more totalitarian control? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, Especially and that, when, that, that does concern me. Right. Especially when you have a profession that, I mean, it's not even like a secret. We know that there's been scientific practices in medicine where this was common knowledge, common wisdom in one generation. And so how do you say this is meant for misinformation when you know that it has changed? Like they don't oh, do it's, this it's practice changed. anymore. Yeah, it changes so all the time. Yeah. Is it so, retroactive? We're going to go would, back and, you know, flunk those guys or yank their license? I was, you know, I, was taught, I was taught in medical school, you don't give a congestive heart failure patient beta blocker. <laughs> now it is standard practice. Yeah. Uh, that's 25 years. Well, let's, let's go back a century. William Osler was the most famous English speaking uh, physician of his day. He was the Regis professor of medicine at, um, Oxford University. Um, he wrote the textbook, uh, Principles and Practice of Medicine. It went through 13 editions, 1,100 pages, um, and ruled medicine for three decades. Um, he was it as far as Western medicine. If you look at Principles and Practice of Medicine, 1,100 pages, he had six treatments which are now recognized as being efficacious. Oh, wow. Six treatments out of 1,100 pages. So, you know, if I were in Osler's day, do, do I take his license away from this information? Well, what was true about Osler is he knew how to sit down and listen to people. Yeah. He knew how to convince people he knew what was wrong with them. He knew how to give them an understanding of the illness that fit the culture and the times. And that's always been therapeutic. That was true for Evichina. It was true for, for Osler. It'll be true for, you know, it, it's true Dr. Fauci today. If, if, if someone sits down with him and he says, this is what your allergy is coming from, because he's an allergist immunologist. So, you know, it's, that's what lasts. It's, it's the relational, the therapeutic relationship, the science changes. And if, if you're saying that science doesn't change, if you're basing your life on, you know, this fact will remain, um, that's problematic because science is a human construct. It's not, um, it is not truth. It's an explanation of truth. And all explanations of truth that are extra biblical are flawed. Right. That's a very good way of thinking. I know we're probably, we're already running out of time. And again, you've been so gracious to give me this time. I want to talk uh, with you about so much more. We're just going to have to make it uh, another time. Before we get you out of here, can you give me a little bit of a, I wouldn't say report card, but can you give us a, uh, where you're at right now in the pandemic? What do you, what do you see over the next uh, couple months? Do you feel like we're on an uh, off ramp maybe um, from a medical perspective? I know that Omni was more transmissible, um, pretty mild in most cases from what I understand. I know there's going to be other variants. There's probably going to be other boosters and all that stuff. Where do you think of right now from with, with your medical mind and your experience, what would you say the, the, the future looks like? Uh, endemic pandemic, like what are, what's our time frames here? It turns out, uh, God's pretty smart. Um, in creating the human genome, he, he gave us an incredible tool for survival. Cut yourself shaving. You don't die gangrene most of the time. Most of the time, you heal. Um, you stub your toe and you break it. Most of the time, it heals. The human body is designed uh, in current atmospheric and genetic conditions to probably last around 100, 150 years. We know that in human history, from the biblical 
record that there have been times when it lasted longer, but there is a decay. There, there is senescence, this idea of aging. But in, in life, healthy bodies you know, regenerate, they, they throw off illnesses. And so our genome had not seen uh, the genome of, of this particular coronavirus. We can argue about why. We can argue about engineering or accident, or we can argue about we can argue about uh, intentional release versus accidental release, et cetera, et cetera. Um, frankly, at this point, those arguments don't interest me a whole lot. Uh, so much as you know, are we going to make it? It's going to wipe out species. Not going to wipe out species. It's going to cause, and has caused a lot of suffering, a lot of death. And so, people who say it's bad flu. Uh, frankly, I find that disrespectful or uninformed. Uh, in our corner practice, about 4,000 patients, it's my estimate that we've lost 40 to premature death. And so if you're out there saying that, you know, all these coronavirus deaths are fake um, or that they died of something else, um, I would challenge that with my personal experience uh, in my practice. And I didn't get that from CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or OAN or whatever yeah. the alphabet soup is that, that's your favorite. Um, I got it from personal experience. Um, I think we're going to do okay. Immunity is catching up. Uh, natural immunity from exposure and recovery to the virus itself. Um, it helps. There's, there's cross-reactivity. So if you were exposed to Delta, you had some protection against Omicron, uh, even though Omicron was more transmissible. Um, and there are genetic changes in a virus. You know, if you're a virus, and, and let's just anthropomorphize things, if you want to survive as a virus, you need to get more transmissible but less deadly. Because if you kill all the hosts, you got no place to live. Right. So, you know, if you're going to stick around, which is, that's the name of the genetic game. Uh, if you're going to stick around, what you need to do is, is get more transmissible but less deadly. Um, you know, this is a variant of the common cold. And there is a fascinating uh, small study from the UK that showed that people in household who had an infected family member, if they'd had prior exposure to a cold, common cold, coronavirus, they had some natural immunity mm. against infection. So that's kind of fascinating because, you know, even our sniffles may offer some protection. Enough people have been vaccinated. I don't think that, that uh, we're going to have successive waves of people getting as seriously ill. Certainly with the Omicron, because the transmissibility was so high, the raw death numbers and the raw hospitalization numbers uh, were concerning. It, it, it varied by society based on how hard Delta had hit them, which was the last wave. You know, we've, we've got a new sub-variant of Omicron, I think, that's rearing its head. I, I think we'll have some, some saber-rattling, if you will, in terms of the, mm -hmm. the, the disease warmongers who yeah. say, you know, death is coming, death is coming. Um, but I think uh, we will get this thing through uh, human ingenuity and technological advances and through God-given immunity. I think we'll get this thing to where uh, it is more flu-like and less... Uh, Black plague-like in terms of of, of mortality, I, you know, and, and, and you know, even to compare it to the Black Plague, which wiped out you know whole swaths of populations and, and set civilization back. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, we're uh, the suffering is real. The pandemic uh, was a real threat. It was. I, I, I hesitate. The pandemic itself was never an existential existential threat to human culture. The responses to the pandemic. Yeah can become existential if we divide ourselves and uh, handcuff ourselves in, in ways and become enraged at one another. Um, you know, it, I think we have to be careful about that. Fast forward five years, you know, I, like I told you in the two years ago, you know, my, 
my future scope didn't work four weeks, much yeah. less five years. But I, I think that I, I think we will probably be getting shots against coronavirus, uh, maybe on a annual or biennial basis or something, depending like a on what happens. Yeah, yeah. seasonal, sort of like the flu. Right. Uh, I get my flu shot every year. It's a requirement of my workplace. Um, I don't storm out of my workplace and say, this is an inappropriate mandate. You guys are wanting me to take the mark of the beast. Uh, I'll take my flu shot because, you know, I'm not at my age and health. I'm not worried about the flu killing me, although it could. I'm more worried about missing a week of work and yeah. uh, not being able to help people. Or I'm worried about, you know, taking home my family and feeling miserable. And so probably get the coronavirus shot for the same reason. I've been very blessed, very fortunate, although I've worked with many, many people who've had it. To my knowledge, I've not uh, been infected with coronavirus. You know, I've, I do think the vaccine has helped me in that regard to not be seriously ill. Um, but, you know, right now I've, I've gotten a booster. Um, who knows when I'll need another one or, or what have you. I'm not ready to, to draw a line of sand there. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm prepared for the science to change on that. Um, but I think that it will become more like pneumonia or flu. Now, make no mistake, um, we lose Oh, yeah. Ordinary flu season, we lose tens of thousands of people. Right. Um, pneumonia still has a double-digit mortality rate mm. um, in, in elders. And so, you know, when we talk about this, we just think, you know, throw some penicillin in it, everything will be great in terms of pneumonia. We think about flu, well, you know, get some fluids in me, I'll be okay. Um, vulnerable people, vulnerable people die from infectious disease. Right. Um, but healthy people tend to not. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, I think it'll get there. I think this, the otherness of it and the, the megaphone, the drumbeat of, you know, we have a news program, so we will cram news down your throat. Right. You know, we'll be onto something else in a year. We'll yeah. be onto something. And, and you talked about that fatigue. People are, people are a little bit tired. You know, I, I was just in California. Uh, if I say California to people who are not in California, there's a lot of, it, people yeah. have a lot of reactions. Yeah. I gotta be honest. I, I had some concerns. We, we went for vacation. And my wife and I talked about it because we thought, you know, will we be able to go into restaurants? Will right. we be able to, to, you know, how will people respond if we take our masks down and take a yeah. drink? Or what, what would that be like? And I have to tell you, man alive, people were so friendly. People were so accommodating. Our family felt safe. Our family felt welcomed. Every service staff person, every fellow traveler or tourist was gracious and kind. And, uh, man, it was one of the best trips we've ever taken. And awesome. so. Um, I think a lot of people uh, who might not be from a state that has been famous for government control as much as California might think, wow, what's this like? But, but we had a great experience. I, I think people are fatigued with uh, being totalitarian toward each other. Yeah. Uh, there's still some people who, you know, blue checks or red checks or whatever, you know, here, there, there, you know, everywhere, check, check. Yeah. <laughs> Just people, <laughs> people who, people whose fame an economic model is dependent on making people angry. Right. Are going to continue to do that. Right. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah. But I think there's a whole swath of us here in the middle who are like, you know what? We're I'm, over it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I feel is best for me and my family. Yeah. I'm going to talk to my doctor. I'm going to either trust her or not. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to make some decisions here. Um, I think some of the, I think some of the mandates are going to backfire particularly if they don't account for natural immunity. Um, you know, I, one thing about Americans is we, historically we have not liked being controlled. And right. so I, I think some of this will, will, will balance out. And that's, 
please. That's not an anti-Biden statement. Right. It's not an anti. It's not a call for it's, arms. It's not a. It's not yeah. a Mitch McConnell statement or an Nancy Pelosi statement. That, you know, you, you fill in the names. What my Bible tells me to do is to honor people who are in governmental offices because of the office that that it, authority is created by God. It is misused by humans in the church and outside the church. But I'm called to pray for those in authority that I may live a peaceful life. Um, I'm. I am specifically commanded not to rail against dignitaries. And so, um, although I may be frustrated with this person or that person, and, and I could name people across the spectrum that I've been frustrated with, um, I may disagree and I may publicly disagree with statements and policies. To do a personal attack against an individual, frankly, I believe discredits my witness to my God. Uh, because to rail, is sin. Mm. How do we comment in the civic society without railing? I think we point to policies and not personality. I think we we attack ideas and not people. And I think we react in love. That is a tall order. Yes. Uh, and I think it's why you see the writers in the Bible uh, focusing mostly on what Jesus is doing, not what Titian is doing, yeah. or Caligula, or Nero. Um, so it, I'm challenged with that because I, I enjoy cultural uh, understanding or engagement or sometimes commentary. Um, but I think I probably enjoy it too much. Yeah. I, I think I probably should, should stick to what God's called me to do more. Um, but um, I, I, I'm not going to retire from the public sphere. Right. But uh, I, I, I think I need to be very careful. So like you said, think about it through the lens of, you know, I have people in our congregation from way different aspects. Of it. Mm -hmm. I got people who dress way differently. I got people who think way differently. And they're on, they're, you know, if God has brought them here, then I'm accountable for their experience. I'm not accountable for their response, but I'm accountable for their experience. And so I have to take care not to alienate people before Jesus has a chance to reconcile. Yeah. And uh, that's good. I, I, I need to be better at that. I'm, I need to be better at that. You're preaching to me, Dr. Jackson. I feel the same way. Um, I, man, I, let me ask you this because this is something I, I struggle with. And do you have a few more minutes or do, you, do. we need to shut it down? Um, <clears throat> actually, one of the things uh, on the podcast here that I do talk about some of these things and I try to do them in such a reasonable way. Um, one of the fears that I had. And uh, this is some some counsel that I got in some ministries that I, that I respect um, when I was thinking about starting the podcast. I didn't want it to be a polemic. I didn't want to start a podcast to attack a political philosophy. Sure. Um, I didn't want it to uh, be me just railing on any political figure. Um, but I wanted to talk about ideas. And that's one of the things that uh, right in the first episode, politics, religion, philosophy, I want to talk about these things. And I want to talk about them in a reasoned way that people that are so used to attacks, are so used to the high, heightened... Um, vitriol and, and, and venom that comes with those type of podcasts. I'm not saying that, you know, they're not entertaining or anything like that. I wanted it to be something different. But on the other th side of things, I did want to address certain issues in a way that I felt like was being under discussed in our uh, movement or in our circle of influence. And so I've tried to strike balance and I feel like I failed a lot, especially on my Twitter feed. I feel like sometimes the church, when we don't speak about it, we abdicate and we 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 have a we have a generation that are coming up that only hear one side of it articulated, because it's not. I don't think the church is too scared to, but I think the church is. I don't think it's, I don't think the church is ill prepared. I think that they have an answer for some of the the social issues and things of that nature. But I feel like we'll we'll be. I don't know. Labeled 
not doing our job or concerned about money or concerned about social power or, or what. And I, and, I, and, I, and I fight this battle because I don't want to be the, on the opposite and like the end where I'm so political that I'm, I'm and, 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 and again, I'm in a different place than you because I'm not a pastor. Um, and I, I do uh, occasionally get to, to, to preach and, and, and minister and I love those things. Do you, do you find there's, there's tension in that where do you feel like a responsibility? Do you ever feel like you abdicate like this philosophy? Say like there's a social philosophy or a philosophical or political philosophy that's inundating the culture and it's coming into the church. And then there are some people in the church that are arguing it from the other side, like sure. say a more liberal, less conservative side. I'm not even saying politically, but I'm even saying theologically, a more liberal, less conservative side that Jesus, you know, was was a socialist, or that um, you know, liberation theology that you know, this gospel is meant to overturn government stuff like that. When it's being presented and preached in circles, and 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 then on Instagram, and there's there's cool hashtags, and our church isn't engaged in any of that. Do you feel any tension, like in responsibilities, like you know what? There is a way to think about this in a godly way or a biblical way, um, and this is, you know, maybe anti-gospel. There's this thinking you couldn't, you can't think like this and have a biblical worldview. Do, do you feel that pressure? So, I think, you know, human opinions, human opinions. Let's let's just take the example of of the of the pandemic and science and all that. Yeah. Well, theology changes too. Um, everybody's a theologian. Just most people are very bad ones. Right. Um, and and I, I may be among those people, but I, I'm trying to become a better theologian uh, by reading people that, that challenge me and enlighten me and, and also by really, you know, asking God to help me. It, it's, it's amazing. If you, if you ask him to do that, he, he does it. Mm. A lot of times in ways you don't like. However, we, we believe that the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, uh, calls into our remembrance all things that he has said, and it uh, leads us into truth. We believe that truth is not a proposition. We believe that truth is a person. So truth can't be held by anybody, not in a box. Yeah. It, you, you can hold his hand, because in John 14 and 6, he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. So if you think that you understand the truth, you don't understand the truth. Because to say that I have the truth, in, in a sense of I know it, right. I can write it down, I can understand it, is to say that I can write down the end of Jesus. I can circumscribe Jesus. It's always going to be before us. Right. Follow peace and holiness. What does that mean? It means it's in front of us. Mm. So we all have a choice to lean on our own understanding, which is right beside us. We can lean on it. Or we can leave our understanding and we can follow peace and holiness. You can't have both. And that's good. So you can have understanding, yeah. or you can have peace and holiness. Because you can be static, or you can be dynamic. Jesus is a dynamic God. He is a God of progress. He's right. a God of movement. And so my understanding today, I mean, if we do this podcast in 2023, if the world's still standing, I'll probably have a different understanding. Mm. Now, that sounds very progressive. <laughs> Let me just use it in a broad sense, yeah. not in the political sense. What, what is conservative? What's static? Word of God, the Word of God, and so, and I understand we interpret differently, and and we, you know, there were people who used scripture they thought to support slavery right. at the same time that people were using scripture, rightly so, to oppose Go slavery. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our understanding as humans of the scripture, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit to to help us. But I believe, and you can take my, you can take my family, you can take my life, you can you can pull out my fingernails, you can, you know. 
puts true serum on me, you can you know, take me to a black ops site. What I'll die for is that the text is normative. That is the foundation of my life. Uh, there are some things in the Bible that disturb me. There are some things in the Bible that bother me. There are some things in the Bible that I would have written differently if God had allowed me to be God. But I didn't get that job description. And the text is the text. I have staked my eternal soul and my life on that text. In the end, as all this stuff marches forward and we race prophecy, I truly believe, I'm very bullish on the future of the church, and I'm very full, uh, bullish on the future of the apostolic people. Um, and again, I'm not into the, I'm not going to name all the initials of the organizations. Mm-hmm. I don't even know all the initials of the organizations. So the organizations may rise and fall, but the apostolic message is going to be triumphant. We, we are going to you know, the, the rock that rolls down the mountain is going to cover the whole earth. That's, that's Daniel's vision. That's mm-hmm. going to happen. That rock is Christ, and, and his people are apostolic people, and, and, and they are, and I mean that in a broad sense, they, they are they're people that are, that are sent by him, they are engaged by him, they are empowered with him, and, and those people are going to be triumphant. He, he, he's not going to come and, you know, parachute us out uh, or, or drop a rope from a helicopter and get us out of a world that's cataclysmically exploding and say, man, I'm glad you made it. I really believe that in triumph, he's going to return and he's going to find faith and, and, and when he returns. Um, but as we move toward that, I think what will perhaps usher in persecution into pluralistic, westernized societies, developed nations that we all think, okay, the Enlightenment has arrived. How could freedom uh, be unwound to where I would be persecuted for what I say? I think if I say this book is true, and regardless of what you say about um, slavery, sexuality, race, mm. uh, politics, economic distribution, what, uh, gender, uh, uh, whatever you say about anything, yeah. it has to align with this book. I think that makes me an extremist now. Yeah. And one of the subtle changes over the last 15 years in dealing with post 9-11 world is people don't talk about terrorism anymore. They talk about extremism. Yeah. That's an incredibly important distinction because terrorism is a definable act. It is harming innocent people for political means. Right. Whereas extremism changes every day because extremism is based on the mean. And so I can believe the exact same thing today. Red is red. Blue is blue. But if you change your views of society tomorrow and now purple is red, Mm. then I have become an extremist by definition. I didn't move. You moved. Yeah. And so um, I think believing the text is normative becomes the litmus test as we move forward. And so uh, that's frightening because I enjoy my life. Mm. I like my automobile. I like being able to take a firearm out to the woods and, and uh, know where my food comes from. Mm. I, I, enjoy, um, I enjoy societal acceptance. Mm. I enjoy the deference and respect that I have because of my career and my profession. I got to be honest. I, I do. If, if you say that makes me carnal, then pray for my sanctification. But I enjoy it. Yeah. I'd like to not give it up. But I will. Right. To defend the, the truth for me that the text is normative. And society says, you got to give that up. This is a hateful book. This is HB. Well, you know, you as a society do what you're going to do with me. But I've decided what Christ is doing to me, and that, that defends that book. Yeah as the word, mm. capital W. And I can no longer abandon, I could no more abandon the written word than I could the lived word and the incarnate word. 
And so I'm there. I mean, I'm, I'm stuck as, as a biblical Christian. I'm a person of the text. Yeah. I imperfectly understand it. I imperfectly embody it. I imperfectly represent it. And I imperfectly articulate it. But I do perfectly believe it. Yeah. That wow. is that is normative. And so I, I you know, I, I think that's I think that's possibly where we're heading. But when I say I'm so I, I'm concerned about that, but what am I hopeful about? Well, you know, um I have some friends, some of them not prominent, some of them prominent, that are not of the apostolic faith. Uh they've they've not been baptized in Jesus' name as far as I know. They have not received the infilling of the Spirit with the definitive experience that was accompanied by speaking in other languages that are unknown to them, whether they be languages of, of humans or language of angels. So they haven't had some of the same experiences I have, but wow, do they ever have the same belief that I have that the text is normal. Yeah. And honestly, frankly, they're more devoted. To, I mean, they're amazingly devoted to Scripture. They study mm. it. They read it. They, they believe it. Yeah. So in the end, I think, that's going to push us closer together rather than further apart. Yeah. What that apostolic revival will look like. They're not all coming to our church. We don't have enough room. Yeah. Um, they don't all want to hear me. I think those devoted, wonderful, uh, what I would call Cornelius people that have all of these, this tremendous uh, experience of walking with God and making memorials before him in terms of their morality, their giving, their, their, their belief in truth. Uh, I believe that God is going to privilege them with his spirit and and a new and exciting experience because of their faithfulness to his word. Amen. And I believe that uh, the bride is going to uh, greatly grow uh, in its fellowship, its understanding. And uh, so, so yes, I think that people that don't have apostolic or Pentecostal over their door, but have a cross and a Bible, uh, will experience some of the things that we've experienced. Yeah. And I also feel that from a from a an apostolic oneness standpoint, that we're gonna gain a lot of things that, that they have. Uh, you know, I, I have tremendous respect for the reformed community and how much they honor the word of God. I have tremendous respect for um, the Baptist community and how they have prioritized mission. Uh, I have tremendous respect for uh, how the the Lutheran community has valued education, it, you know, and I'm I'm leaving out so many, you know, yeah. but I, you know, I, I have there are many many groups of people that have so many admirable qualities. I, I have to say, you know, for the last you know 50 years in American culture, the Roman Catholic community has carried the torch of, of respecting the sanctity of human life. Yeah. And it's been an intensely unpopular opinion. Yeah. Such that, you know, Roman Catholic masses, you know, not routinely, but it does happen where they're interrupted. The groups come in, two, four, six, eight, this church teaches hate. Yeah. Because of their stance on on the sanctity of human life. And, you know, I don't agree with Pope Francis about everything. Yeah. But I agree with him that human life is sacred. Right. You know, so I, when, I, when I mention these groups, I just want to say that, you know, I don't think that we're the ones that are going to just like a USB port download, you know, here's our experience. You take this and you do this. This can be awesome for you um, in everything in totality of our cultural experience of, yeah. of, of how we, I'm using air quotes here for those of you listening, do church. Yeah. Close quote. Um, 
I think we're going to learn as well. But I do believe that the New Testament experience of salvation as expressed in the new birth, the, the, the message that Peter gave in Acts 2, uh, and, and yes, in verse 30, verses 38 and 39, what Paul preached, what Peter preached, what, what Jesus told Nicodemus, I think that we'll have uh, called a third wave or a, a 21st century birth of this. We're seeing it in the, in the global south. We're seeing it um, in the east. Mm. Um, and I, I believe that we're going to see uh, crusade-style events and, and effects and congregations and right. organizations uh, experiencing this uh, in the developed nations of the, uh, of the Eurocentric West and, and, and in North America. I think it's going to be exciting. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be uh, frightening. I think it's going to be uh, scary. I think yeah. it's going to be uh, marvelous. Yeah, I think challenging. It's gonna, uh, all those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's going to be everything that the Bible shows. I, I, it's amazing that we landed here. I didn't know we were going to land here at Conversation Point, but I, I mentioned this this weekend. I was preaching at a church in North Carolina, and just just thinking about the, I think, the, the revival that we're going to have at the end time and, and God just gathering up his people. I, I think of it in terms of Romans where it says, man, uh, speaking of the, the, the Jewish people, and the Jewish faith, it says, we were blessed by the rejection of it. How much more are we going to be blessed by their acceptance of it? It talks about, you know, this great, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, specifically the one with Brother Carpenter, uh, when we talked about what our elders that that launched our movement, the, what the, the 21st century or the 20th century Pentecostal church that swept uh, through Topeka and Azusa and all those is that they were fervent in prayer and they established some things and they did things that maybe they didn't have the theology or the academia behind it, but they were doing things. And I liken it to a conversation I heard two guys having where when you say something is true, truth can be a trajectory, like, like an arrow. It's flying true. It's on its way to hit the mark. And I look at a lot of these, what these mentions that you're making of these different denominations, and if they have a devotion to the word of God and a, and a reverence for the Word of God, man, they, they, they're on that trajectory. We're, I, I think they can land there. You know, I think that arrow can pierce. And if we have it to, you know, to something like the, the Jewish faith, where Paul's writing and says, listen, guys, like, okay, they were upset that God brought the Gentiles in. So we, we, we know that. We've got that in the Bible. But you know there's a future for them. And they're, we're going to be blessed by that. Yeah, and, and I, I, I forgive the interruption. No, no, no. I want. I, I just, this. I just don't believe in replacement theology. Right, I just, me too. I just don't believe that. I literally said that Sunday morning I at a church. Not, I said, I, I, "This is not replacement theology." I don't, I don't adhere to, to be, that. We have to be very careful. Right, we have to be very careful to honor the Jewish faith, and um, certainly as apostolics. I mean, we we bear the cultural stigma of monotheism, <laughs> right? That the Jewish people have borne from Centuries, time immemorial. Yeah, yeah. millennia. Um, and so we owe so much. We owe so much to our Jewish brethren, and um, you know we have to acknowledge our scripture. Talk about text being normative. God has a plan mm. for His people, and He's not abandoned that plan. And His His original plant was was the Jewish nation, and we've been grafted in. We need to be grateful for that. What what I what I treasure is the distinctiveness of being an apostolic person. I, I do treasure that. I, I'm very, very excited to see what will happen in this sort of fifth generation of this, this modern and postmodern iteration of, of Pentecost. Because there's never been a revivalist movement that, it, that succeeded into its fifth generation. Even the New Testament church failed in the mid-second century. 
uh, there were political compromises that were made. Uh, the power of the spirit began to be replaced by professionalism and, and politics. And so we've never had a generation like your daughters. Hmm. We've never had a generation like those that are leading in youth meetings across the globe now um, who are you know, fourth and fifth generation apostolics and, and who are doubling down on doctrine. Hmm. They're doubling down on distinctions. They're doubling down on devotion. And, and they're, they're doubling down on demonstration. They really believe in the power of the Spirit. They believe in separation. They believe in, they believe in monotheism and the new birth. They, they believe in, in, uh, in being devoted to God completely. So those four areas, I mean, they, they have those four pillars. What excites me is that because of that, and because of what has been handed to us by our elders, we now have an opportunity to, to get to the other three aspects of apostolicity that I would say are, are core to the New Testament expression, and that is delegated authority. We haven't done well with working in teams, but we're figuring that out. Right. We haven't done well with bivocationalism, but we're figuring that out. Um, we haven't done well with, uh, we love to talk about submission. We don't like to do it, but we love to talk about it. All right. uh, but mutual submission. Yeah. We've talked too much about wives submitting to their husbands and not enough about mutual submission and how uh, Scripture teaches us that we submit to one another. Mm -hmm. Yes, there, in every family, it's got to be an ultimate decision maker, but mutual submission. We, we talk about submission of saints to, uh, I don't even mean to say ministers because we're all supposed to be ministers. We right. have, uh, let's, let's talk about leaders. Yeah. We talk about that a lot, but we don't talk about mutual accountability. We, we talk, so when we really get delegation of authority right, it's going to open up. Um, not any more power. Church can't have any more power. We, we, we've got explosive power. We have dunamos. The power's already with us. It, it, it comes after the Spirit, and it's power enough to reach the whole world. Acts 1 and 8 tells us that. So we're not going to get any more power. If you're praying for more power, stop it. Pray for something else. Pray for me. <laughs> um, pray for authority, because authority yeah. comes with integrity, and that, that's, that's that delegation. It's, it's a mutual submission. It's a mutual accountability. So if we have that, then we're going to have dominion. We will see God's power expressed in the earth in, in a real way that's not abusive. Uh, and it's, it's totally upside down. God's kingdom is upside down. People with more power have more service. It's totally upside down. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a Learjet. It's, and, and maybe God will give you one. Fine, you can use it. Fine. He can give it to me because I, I'd be so excited about it. So <laughs> I've disqualified myself from the Learjet community. Yeah. You know, so that, that's not happening to me. Um, we're going to have dominion. And, and, and I don't mean that in the technical sense of dominion theology, that, that that God's waiting on us to take over the earth before he'll come back. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. But I do believe that we're going to see kingdom principles expressed in human society in a way that is visible mm. and is tangible and is recognizable as being different. The New Testament church did that. They, you know, the idols to Diana of the Ephesians were burned. They were destroyed. That industry. What if every strip club went out of business? What if every liquor store went out of business in certain communities because people didn't need that yeah. dopamine charge because they had true fulfillment from Christ. That's possible. Right. I believe that could happen. Yeah. So, uh, so delegation authority, dominion, and finally destiny. Apostolic people are sent people. If we are on mission, apostoline and missio, same meaning, Greek word, Latin word. If we're not on mission, we're not apostolic. If we are not a sent people, we're frauds. And we need to admit it and let God move somebody else in. Uh, because you can have all the things, but it starts with being sent. Our sending capacity has to define us, not our seating capacity. And listen, 
I know what our average was to the tenth decimal point for the last quarter. I, I know how many people we got in this building. I, I'm so I need help from the Holy Spirit in this area because our true metric that I tell our people we need to look at is how many contacts we make in the community weekly. But I can't tell you how many we made last week, but I can tell you how many we had in attendance. So I'm failing there and I need to move forward. Uh, I, I love gathering. I, I now have that shepherding heart. Let's get all the sheep in. Yeah. Let's get all the sheep in. Yeah. We're so good at that, but we need to be better at scattering. Sure. We, we need to be a scattering church right. as well as yeah, church. You know, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We, man, we'll, we'll pound that one. That's, right. that's underlined so much in our Bibles that it's nearly unrecognizable. We've got highlighter in green, yellow, and blue. But what about what the about Spirit we focus separate on the, into me? And Acts yeah. two experience, Acts two experience, Acts two experience. Okay, fine, you've got it. What about the Acts three experience? Yeah. What about such as I have, I give, I'm giving you. Even as I'm on my way to being religious, I'm going to be spiritual. Acts three doesn't cut out the temple. They were on their way. They're going to pray. Fine. Right. I, and I'm not trying to get rid of your devotion. I'm not trying to get rid of your gathering. Yeah. I'm just saying that we need to 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 realize that the power of the gospel is at the point of meeting. In Ezekiel's temple, the water got deeper the further you got away from the door. We have it totally backwards. We think that if we can finally get everybody together on one site, and if the choir sings just right, and, and if, we so good. if we modulate yeah. one key more, if they'll sing it one more time, we'll I'll wave then. my handkerchief, and it'll be deeper, and people will experience it. Well, it's wonderful. I love those symphony experiences of the gathered body of Christ. That is amazing. I love it. I love it. And, and I wish that our gatherings were even more powerful with yeah. more people. But the real test of our church is not 2.30 to 3.45 on Sundays. The real test of our church is 4 o'clock. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm going to quote my, my friend, uh, Brother Tremble again, from one of his songs. Service begins when we leave. So when the lights are turned out, that's when the gospel needs to go on. Right. Kind of rethink uh, what our service time is. <laughs> Our gathering yeah. time, it might yeah, be 10. Yeah. I have, 100, have 168 hours. Yeah. Two of those hours are gathering times. The other 166 are when this church is in service. So you what know, a what, concept. What time do you have services? And I have said that so wrong so many times. We have service at 2.30 on Sunday. We have service at 7 o'clock on Thursday night. No, we don't. We have meetings in. We have service those other 166 hours. Yeah. So I need to get better at all that. I, I, I'm not trying to browbeat people here. That doesn't work anyway. But I need to be very honest that I need to increase in this because I, you know, I want to be more devoted. I, I, I probably need to work on my distinctions. I, I, I need to understand the doctrine better, and, and I, I need more demonstration in, in my life in our church. But boy, I, I need to understand delegation better. I need to, I need to allow God's dominion to be there and not be worried about my reputation. I need to, you know, we, there have been two patients filled with the Holy Spirit in my practice in the last two years. But I, I'm responsible for around 5,000 people at one time. So could it be more be if more. I were looking for more dominion of God's, God's authority working in my world yeah. rather than my reputation? Um, I, I need to think about that more. I need to pray about that more. And, and I need to, to focus on destiny. I need to focus on being sent. I need to understand that this afternoon while I'm in clinic, I'm a sent person. Yeah. I'm a sent man. I'm not, you know, are you called? Are you called? And we think about that as standing behind a pulpit and saying something. Are you called to preach? Are you called to minister? I'm called to minister this afternoon. I got, uh, I think, 11, 12 people scheduled. Out of those, some of them are going to need uh, pain medicine. Some are going to need nausea medicine. All of them are going to need meaning. 
medicine. All of them are going to need to know that they're loved. All of them are going to need to know that they're valuable. All of them are going to need to know that they are called in an unimpeachable way, in an irreplaceable way, to represent God before angels and men. And uh, when I'm 45 minutes behind and worried about whether I'm hangry, I don't do a good job of thinking about that. Yeah. So I need the Spirit to lead me to be a sent person. Wow. That's incredible. I've never considered the Ezekiel vision being deeper as you left the temple. That was, man, that's, that's incredible. It makes me think of the, uh, the scripture that says, um, those that do business in great waters in the it. deep, that's they it. see the wonders. We don't see, we think, man, well, look, oh, look at the wonders we're seeing right here around this altar. It's like, if you get involved in the deep waters, we're not, and I know spiritually, you can have deep moves of God. I get that. I'm not, I'm not attacking that. But man, you don't see what you see in the harbor. You know, you don't see what you see out in the deep that you see, you know, you won't see that in the harbor where the shallows are. You're going to see those whales. You're going to see those magnificent, the northern light, all those beautiful wonders. That's the, that's for business in deep water. So, you know, as one of Pentecostals, we pride ourselves. Our religious pride is around being restorationist. We believe that we are embodying the book of Acts church. Um, laudable goal. And I think to some extent we reach it. I think our doctrine is a, is a, is a book of Acts doctrine. I, I, I think we're preaching what the apostles preached. We don't practice what the apostles practice all the time in terms of their sending. I mean, it, if you look at because we, we're so meeting-centric. And, and look, we came off the wrong side of the tracks. They threw tomatoes at us. They, I, I cannot disparage our elders. It, you know, my face has never been rubbed in a brick wall like J.T. Right. was. So I can't. I can't answer to that level of commitment. Mm. And so please don't understand, please don't misunderstand that any commentary on our development is criticism. Because I've, I've never left Houston on a train with 50 cents in my pocket and no, no hotel room to stay in. Yeah. Like, Goss did. I, I, it's not my story. And my story is different because of their story and what they right. built and what they sacrificed. All those things you talked about. So, hallelujah, right? But, when you come from the wrong side of the tracks, everybody hates it. Every revivalist movement starts with the dregs. Everyone. But by the third generation, righteous living works. Proverbs works. Wesley said, there will be a people called Methodist, but they won't be Methodist. It's because yeah. Wesley's paradox, because righteous living begets riches. Cultural riches, educational riches, financial resources. Well, you don't fritter away what God has given you with addictions and abuses and all of these things. You know, you have to give. And the tragedy of that is, and that's why revivalist movements don't last. They never have. This is the first one in history. Since the ascension, this is the first revivalist movement to make it to fifth generation with the distinctiveness of its devotion yeah. and cultural distinction. Somewhere along the way, about 15, 20 years ago, young people decided, I don't want to cash out. I don't want cultural acceptance. I, no matter how many Instagram followers I have or not, I'm, I'm going I'm to be in the altar. We're still going to speak in tongues. We're still going to roll around the floor, do whatever it is. I'm going to grow my hair long as a female. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, dress a certain way or, or not participate in certain things as a male. You know, hallelujah. But it's, it's not just about gathering. When, 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 you, when you grow up with the little brother syndrome religiously, when you're called a cult hmm. because you didn't embrace the doctrine of the Trinity, then you're like a large medium because you feel like, wow, we're doing something. We're, we're accepted here. We really need... I, okay, let me rephrase it. 
I need to pray about that mentality. And I need to pray. I need to pray until the Holy Spirit takes that mentality out of me. Yeah. That I feel that success is how much we can accumulate and how much we can show and how much we can grow. And that's not always a tip. How many books can we write? How many accredited theological schools can we have? You know, all that kind of stuff. I praise God for every bit of it. I praise God for David Bernard. You want to know how to respond to all the cultural issues? Read his stuff. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. And, and there are others, okay? I praise God for that. Would to God we had more and more and more of, of people who were thoughtfully engaged, culturally engaged, all that stuff. But look at the book of Acts. I count 19 miracles, 14 of which happened outside the worship gatherings, and five of which happened inside the worship gatherings. What's our ratio? Right. What's our ratio of Holy Spirit by infillings? How many of our Holy Spirit and feelings happen in people's homes versus in our altar area? Look at the New Testament ratio. And get back to me on how originalists we really are. Yeah. How restorationists we really are. Because we're not... Oh, never mind. We, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, if we say we're doing it the Bible way, let's do it the Bible way. Yeah. And I had such an idolatrous view of ministry because I thought, you know, I was blessed. You know, the, the church that you talk about, where we met, that church was so amazing. Mm. The, the ministerial, uh, the leadership, uh, anointing and talent and the, 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 the worship department and, and the, 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 frankly, the production values of, of how excellent everything, the parking lot, it, it was such a tremendous experience. And nobody taught me this. I just, I'm talking about my failures, not anybody yeah. else. I just began to think, man, if we can get them here, right. it will happen, because this is awesome. And I loved it so much that I think I shortchanged Jesus because I began to think about, it'll happen if I can get them this environment that I love so much, rather than thinking about, because of all these things that are happening that I love so much, we're all empowered to go out and see it happening elsewhere. And, you know, there were people that, that got the Holy Ghost at restaurants as part of that, that uh, congregation. There mm-hmm. were people. There were a lot of people who did it right. I'm telling you what I didn't do right. right. I'm telling you what I failed at. But there were some ministries and people that I began to be associated with through international missions and through some North American missions where, you know, in Europe, if you got eight people in a room, it's probably going to be it in a lot of settings. Mm. Uh, in Africa, can go wrong, will go wrong. PA system's going to break down at some point. Light's going to go out probably. Power grids aren't what they are here. Yeah. Well, I'm in Memphis, so <laughs> who knows? Who knows the power grid? Who knows the power grid? So, so uh, sorry, sorry, Mitch. My, my CEO is on the board of MLGW, our, our energy group, so I may hear about that one. Uh, you know, what I learned by observing others that had better faith than I did is if you got a Bible, you got the Holy Spirit, you got somebody's hungry, and if you have integrity in your heart, that's all you need. And I praise God for the day that we have more stuff here at Arlington United. When we have uh, more musicians and more worshipers and more congregants and more, 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 more. Mm. I'm not right. I'm not against doing our best to present the gospel to people in a gathered sense. But I pray we never lose the concept of people getting a Holy Ghost in the workplace. Yeah. Today, today, um, if if I have my schedule right. Uh, we have a gentleman who's going to be teaching a Bible study to somewhere between five and ten people. He's doing it at Toyota. Toyota. It's a corporate Bible study. He's wow. doing it on Microsoft Teams. Man, that's awesome. And so, um, you know, he didn't speak this last Sunday at our, at our church as far as delivering a main message. 
but he's delivering a message, the message, mm. to people in corporate space today. So we're having service today. You know, won't be anybody in this building. Yeah. But we're having service. That's great. Because Mark's going to be teaching. So, you know, I, I don't want to lose that. Yeah. As we, as we stretch and thrive toward the gathering, I don't want to lose ascending. So, sorry, podcast turning sermon. It's just, it's, oh. it's something that I need personally to grow in. And I'd love to see more of us grow in those areas. And I thank God for the people that taught me that. I, I thank God for the people who taught me what an excellent gathering looks like. I yeah. thank God for that. But I also think people, I think the people who taught me that an excellent gathering doesn't have to be a thousand, yeah. it could be two or three. Um, and, and that an excellence in gathering is how accommodating we are to what the Spirit is doing in that moment. Yeah. Not how amazed we are by the drum riff. Right. Or, or the guitar. And, and so, and so it's great yeah. to, to see those things and have those things. I, well, I'm fundamentally glad. in those gatherings, you are equipping. That's what the fivefold ministry does. It equips. Well, what is it, what is it equipping? It's equipping the saints for the work. I'm going to challenge you. 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 I'm a, in my speech, I'm trying to abandon fivefold ministry. Yeah. Because that's not what scripture says. Are you a fourfold four guy or? No, no oh. I, I, I believe in five equipping gifts, but I believe, and, and people that I respect and love have written books titled The Fivefold Ministry. So, yeah. And, and they have known and know more of God than I do. So, but in that particular phraseology, I believe we've taken a misstep because by calling the fivefold ministry, I think we've minimized what the scripture says about those five gifts are for equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so by labeling the teaching and leading gifts as, and the speaking gifts as ministry, I think what we have silently told our people is you're not ministry. We've diminished the we've work diminished for the them. congregation, yeah. yes. Yeah. That's and then we get thought. mad when they won't work <laughs> in the way that we'd <laughs> like for them to. Well, we taught them that. Right. We taught them that we're the ministry. We empowered ourselves and that's, took the power from... That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a medieval concept of a separation between clergy and laity yeah. that is not supported by Scripture. Yeah. So uh, I've, I've said that phrase many times. Uh, I think it's so... I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to excise it from my vocabulary. Well, I'm glad you did, because I was just, I was just saying the common thing. Everybody, I, you know, I understand. Five, I understand. I've, <laughs> I've said it. Probably will say it again. But I'm trying to excise it from my vocabulary because I think that... It's a great thought. I need to think of myself as a fellow minister with the other 29 people who came here. Right, on right. Sunday. Well, it's because it's... Puts I, the I understand licensure. I understand. I, I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not here to, you know... Uh, but listen, the Baptists were blowing up the frontiers of this country with church planning until they demanded that all their people go to seminary. You can argue... Uh, Wesley thought it was going to be wealth that diminished the Methodists. But the Methodists stopped growing when they institutionalized ministerial accreditation. And so the more you draw distinctions between the people who are talking and the people who are listening, and the more you, you, you divide those two into professional class of speakers and uh, uh, an occasional class of listeners, it diminishes the way the body's supposed to work, in my opinion. And so anyway, that's, I get blow back on that later. No, <laughs> I, I love it. Social media, but I absolutely sense. love it. It's, it's what I it's what I truly think, and, and I do believe that the spirit gifts leadership, and I do believe that that the body ratifies that, and so I, I do believe in I believe in gifts, and I believe in offices, and I mm. believe in the call of God, and I believe in the affirmation of humanity, and I, I believe those work together, and I believe that's what makes for spiritual authority. So, 
You'll be gifted all you want, those gifts without repentance. If you have no integrity, you don't have any influence. So right. it, it, it does require both. I'm not against, I'm not against organizations or boards or, or licensures or any of those things. I'm just saying that in our own minds, in our speech, if we, as those of us who are privileged to, to speak before the congregation, I feel that we need to be very careful that we don't um, inadvertently elevate ourselves to a point that alienates others from their work. Yeah. Anyway, Diminish them. That's, that's, that's what I, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to work on and think about. And uh, you're you're hearing a work in progress. So <laughs> that's it's, not, it's not meant to, to torpedo anyone. It's oh no, no. Hey, it's a, it's a great thought. I think it's a, it's it's something we should draw attention to and well well deserved. Doctor Jackson, we've gone close to two hours. Unbelievable, unbelievably. Yeah, you you you. That's why you pay the big bucks. You had it. I just talk. <laughs> Well, this has been an amazing morning. I did not think we'd have this much time, and I know I'm borrowing from somebody else's time. So whoever out there that I've stole this man from you, I apologize wholeheartedly right now, whether it be family or profession. I know there's meetings to be had and lunches to be done. Um, Thank you, Dr. Jackson, for coming on the Kenny Chester Podcast, sharing your heart, sharing your mind with us, uh, sharing your vision for the Apostolic Church. I've truly enjoyed this conversation. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me, and God bless all of your listeners and um, your, your, your influence and and people for for the good and we praise god for that and and we're thankful for your listeners and all those who are working in the kingdom of god absolutely dr jackson there's many things we did not cover can i get it just can i get a commitment right now you, you'll talk to me again one day uh make sure that everybody is okay with this one first <laughs> <laughs> well i i'm okay with it and that's really all that matters uh, all my listeners are so good out there i know they're going to love this conversation as much as i love being a part of it thank you for listening god bless and we'll check in next time Thank you for listening to the Kenny Chester Podcast. Please consider subscribing and leaving a review. 